You guys got to wake up a little bit, Two Rivers. Come on now. Come on now. Hey, good morning. Good morning. We are, I'm glad to make you laugh right there. I, I, I can, I will dance. I will dance. I'm not afraid to dance. Um, I am free by the soup dragons is that song. And I want to thank my good friend Trent Darrow for getting that to me last Sunday at 10.20 p.m. Uh, Trent also worked at Camp Ozark in his college days, and he's like, that was driving me crazy all day, and that's the song. So if you were with us uh, last Sunday as we uh, began the journey of this study in the book of Galatians, I talked about this song from the summer camp that Lindsay and I met at. It's a place called Camp Ozark. And we met at that camp and fell in love at that camp. And that song was played every day as kids came out of rest period to go into free time, right? And that, that, that's, that song begins with, what will you do with your freedom, right? This is the question that I am inviting you to consider uh, in this series. Um, because the question isn't, if we are free in Christ, you are, you are free in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. The question is, what are you going to do with the freedom in Christ that you have? This is a true story. Lindsay well, went to Trader Joe's last Sunday afternoon. I can't remember where I was. I was probably, no, I was on the way to Castle Rock to take, this sound is here we go. That's better, Wyatt. Thank you. Um, I was on the way to Castle Rock taking Brennan to a soccer game. Anyway, she texted me. She's like, Jason, that song just came on. That song by the Soup Dragons that used to play at the camp that <coughs> we fell in love with, that you said, you haven't heard that song in years. Last Sunday afternoon, she's in Trader Joe's, the song, the song played. That's, that's ironic, right? I mean, that's pretty cool, huh? I, I thought it was. You guys are a little asleep still. Do we need, let's, let's play that song again, Wyatt. Let's play that song again. Let's just see if we can get people's blood moving in here a little bit more uh, this morning. So she's shopping at Trader Joe's. I just talked about that song. Are we able to do it, Wyatt? Putting you on the spot. Yeah. Come on. No one wants to clap. Not even Steve Dale. Not even Brandon and Holly on the front row. There we go. Okay, now we're ready. Okay, so, all right, thank you, thank you. You guys are, uh, you guys are too kind. So she's in trade. The song comes on. The song comes on. Later in the song, uh, kind of the second half of the song, instead of that phrase that it starts with, what will you do with your freedom? The phrase is this. Don't be afraid of your freedom. Thank you, Lens. Um, and I, that's the key to the series in my mind, that second, that second thing that they say. So it, when, when I think about this series and where we're going to be going this um, month in May and into the summer, two things, the key to the series in my mind, to help people, to help you, us, uh, see that grace and freedom in Christ is biblical and true, it is biblical and true. Um, freedom, it, freedom in Christ is not something to be afraid of. Um, and the second thing in terms of the key to the series is this, to help us learn how to carry the joy and the responsibility 
of our freedom in Christ. To understand that it's biblical and true, and then secondly, to help us understand how to carry the joy, um, the gift, and the privilege of freedom in Christ. That maturing in our faith, uh, maturing in grace is learning how to manage our freedom better and better because we're free to say yes and no. Like wisdom, wisdom, growing in wisdom is understanding how, like when I'm free to say yes and when I'm free to say no and what wisdom would say on what choice to make in our freedom. Uh, So I started the series last week with that song. I ended the sermon last week uh, with this statement, that a culture of grace, a culture of grace and freedom, it has to be protected if it is going to last. Because there are always, um, what I said was, circumcision types, uh, people who are seeking to create fear, so that we would be afraid of our freedom and then they would rob us of the freedom in Christ that we have. There are always, if I could put it in a different way, there are always pressure, guilt, shame, ruling over you types that are afraid, that are afraid of what you are going to do with your freedom. They don't trust you to be free. They don't trust that you'll carry the responsibility of freedom. And so instead of cultivating an environment of freedom in Christ, instead we cultivate an environment of pressure and rules and fear so that we can be controlled. Um, Here's an example. Here's an example of that. I'm going to say a phrase in just a minute. And when I say the phrase, I want you to um, just recognize what's the first thing that comes to mind. And what I'm doing here is, is, is giving an example of pressure, guilt, shame, ruling over your types that are afraid of what you're going to do with your freedom. And so here's a phrase that is used oftentimes uh, to describe uh, a culture of grace. And so here's the phrase, hyper grace, hyper grace, what comes to mind? Um, positive or negative thoughts. Um, my gut, my gut is that for most of you, it's probably a, a negative thought. When I hear the phrase hyper grace, I think uh, something negative uh, because that phrase has been hijacked by people who are afraid of freedom and they are afraid to help you grow in grace and freedom and to give you the responsibility of freedom. And it's used as a phrase to describe people who take grace too far. Careful, careful, right? That's a hyper grace uh, teaching or a hyper grace person or whatever it might be. So, I wanna teach on this first before we get to Galatians 1. Uh, So we're gonna be in Galatians 1. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to track with me in the series to bring your Bibles to church or have it ready on your phone. We're gonna be in Galatians 1 and we're also gonna be in Romans chapter five. And so we're gonna start in Romans five and then we're gonna go to Galatians 1. Before we get to Galatians 1, I wanna show you something in Romans five that Paul wrote after he wrote his letter to the Galatian church. So this came after, after the Galatian church. By the way, this is just, this is free. Did you know that the pastoral epistles in the Bible aren't chronological? So if you're in Galatians 1, you've got to go to the left to get to Romans. Uh, Here's the way it's laid out for you in the New Testament. It has nothing to do with the text this morning. It's just a, just a, 
invitation for us to understand how the New Testament is put together. The, the, the letters that Paul wrote are organized in the New Testament by the longest letter to the shortest letter, just by length. So it's not, it's not by the date, it's not in chronological order. Romans is the first pastoral epistle that we see in the New Testament, it comes after the book of Acts. And the last uh, pastoral epistle that, Rome, that Paul wrote is Philemon. Romans is the longest of the letters, Philemon is the shortest of the letters. And that's how they're organized in the New Testament, longest is shortest. But as we look at this in Romans, we need to understand contextually, Paul actually wrote this after he wrote his letter to Galatians, which tells me that even Paul was growing in grace and maturing and becoming a, a more of a freedom fighter in the book of Romans, even than he was in the book of Galatians. Here's what I want to, here's what I want to read. It's a Romans chapter five. Uh, where is my clicker? I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you, Kyle. Do I have it? Oh, there we go. Thanks. Thanks. Lens. So Romans 5, 20 to 21 is the two verses I want to read. Here's what Paul says to the church in Rome. The law, he's speaking of the old covenant Mosaic law, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. The law was added so that we would understand the holy, righteous way of God so that we would see uh, how we fall short. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I'm reading out of the NIV. Perhaps the translation that you're reading might say grace abounded all the more. There's one translation that says that grace superabounded all the more. So that, verse 21, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here is the slide I want to show you. Um, This is just a, a screenshot of my phone and this is Romans 5.20, and it's helping you understand the Greek of the word that's translated increased all the more or abounded all the more. And I should have taken a yellow highlighter and circled it, but if you can see in the black increased all the more, that's the actual Greek. That's the transliteration of the Greek under it in the parentheses. You guys see that? Now, I'm not gonna try to attempt to say that translation word there, but do you see what the first Five letters are of that word. Somebody tell me. Hyper. It's where we get our English word hyper from. We get our English word hyper from that Greek word. So here's here's what Paul is saying in this. And by the way, that Greek word that's, that's translated increased all the more or abounded all the more or super abounded all the more where sin increased, grace super abounded. That's the only place uh, right here in Romans 5.20 uh, that that word occurs in the entire New Testament. In other words, Paul coined the phrase hyper grace. He coined the phrase, it's a biblical word. It's a biblical understanding that where sin increased, grace superabounded all 
the more. Are you guys with me right now? And so what's happened is that a biblical word that Paul coined to help believers in Christ understand their freedom has been hijacked by circumcision types and used as a way to criticize people who fight for freedom like Paul. So again, it's a biblical phrase that Paul coined Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it as we get into the book of Galatians, because we are going to be talking about hyper grace throughout the study of Galatians, the super abounding work of grace in our lives. Um, Paul coined the phrase. It's in Romans 5.20. So with that said, with that said, again, to understand that that grace and freedom is biblical and to, to grow and learn the joy and the privilege of carrying the freedom that we have in Christ because of his hyper grace. So let's start with Galatians 1, 1 to 5 as we get into this letter. If you missed last week, by the way, uh, I just would encourage you to get on our website, go listen to that message from last week or watch it on our YouTube channel. A lot of context uh, last week uh, and just Galatians in general that really helps us in the journey forward in this book. So take some time and get that context uh, later if you missed it. So uh, let me read Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul begins the letter to the churches in Galatia, Gentile churches in Galatia. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. The introduction to the letter. Uh, Paul grabs our attention at the very beginning of the letter uh, by really skipping a lot of the more typical formal greetings um, that um, a pastoral letter would have. Uh, and he's giving us two really strong emphasis as he begins the letter. And I wanna make sure that we're grabbing on to these two strong emphasis that he is speaking about um, as he begins the letter. The first is this, in the first five verses, he is emphasizing his God-given authority to be a conduit of God's message to God's people. He is proclaiming his own God-given authority. In verse one, he introduces himself as an apostle. Now the term apostle uh, designates someone who is given authority to represent someone else. And it's used in a couple of different ways in the New Testament, uh, someone who was an apostle. Uh, we see in the book of Acts that uh, the title apostle was used in uh, the early church in kind of a broad sense to recognize people who were designated as new covenant church leaders and, and missionaries of, of the Great Commission. So it's used generally uh, in a broad sense to designate missionary leaders in Acts. The title was also used 
uh, in a more narrow sense for those who had been given uh, unique and specific authority from Christ himself. That an apostle, in a narrow sense, was someone who was given the authority by Jesus himself to represent Jesus in the building of the New Covenant Church and the Great Commission to the whole world. Paul claims this narrow sense of his apostleship because he was given this authority from Jesus himself in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. His authority uh, was not derived from, uh, from, uh, from men or from any human source or through any human agency. His authority was directly given to him by Jesus himself. And he uses this authority as he begins the letter to bestow blessings on the church. He's gonna rebuke them for sure, but he begins by using his authority as a conduit of blessing the churches. And he uses the phrase in verse three, grace, and peace to you, grace and peace to you. Uh, it's a combination of typical Greek and Hebrew greetings. Uh, I think of uh, grace and peace, and I think of it, it's the, 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 the total work of salvation accomplished by God the Father through Jesus Christ on the cross and by his resurrection. They, they sum up um, really the, the, um, the basis of our faith and our hope, and then the consequence of it. Or if we wanted to think of it another way, the, the root of our faith is the grace of God uh, through Jesus. And the fruit of that grace is our shalom, our peace. And it encompasses for Paul, um, uh, again, the total work of salvation that we have in Jesus. And he just speaks that over the churches as he begins his letter. And so he begins with his God-given authority. He uses that to speak grace and peace. And then he, and then he talks about um, his uh, Christ-centered message. This is the second thing in the introduction. And in verse four, we have three very brief phrases. It's one of those things, I think, that when you read a letter, it's like, oh, I'll get past the first, like, five, six verses, then we get into the real meat of the letter. And I really, I don't want us to miss this in verse four, because uh, Paul outlines his basic structure of his Christ-centered message. First, we see in verse four, it says that Christ gave himself for our sins, the, the penal uh, substitutionary atonement, as the scholars talk about, that Jesus died in our place, gave himself for our sins. And for that reason, because of that truth, um, the total victory over sin is accomplished when Jesus said it is finished on the, on the cross. The total victory over sin is accomplished by the cross and total forgiveness that we have in Christ is a, is a basic baseline theme of the entire letter. What does that mean practically for us? It means this, God doesn't partially forgive people. Like the total victory over sin and the total and complete forgive, forgiveness to us, grace and peace to you. Peace, how do we have peace? Because you have been totally forgiven in Christ. And we get tripped up sometimes because we think that God like partially forgives people, but no one is 50% forgiven. You're either 0% forgiven 
forgiven in Adam or you're 100% forgiven in Christ. There's no ebbing and flowing with our forgiveness. In Christ, you're forgiven, church. You are free in Christ. You are radically, totally forgiven. That is why you have peace and not fear. If we're 50% forgiven, then we have fear and we make it about us. But if we believe rightly that we are totally, completely forgiven, we have peace. Why do we have peace? Because of the grace of the cross, the unmerited favor of God to his people to set us free. So he starts, Christ gave himself for our sin, Christ-centered message. Second, the purpose of the cross is expressed in this dramatic a kind of a way to rescue us from this evil present age. Christ gave himself on the cross for us to rescue us from out of this evil present age. Paul has um, a, an apocalyptic kind of end times view of history and the revelation of God in Christ has forever changed the course of human History. Uh, the cross of Christ has inaugurated God's new created order, which is that those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He'll talk more about that in chapter six. And that all who believe in the cross and the resurrection are rescued from this present evil age. And we are included in the new creation in the family of God. And he, he'll, he'll unpack this more as we, as we work through the book. Chapter four, he talks a lot about destructive, malignant forces, like basic principles of the world uh, that are coming against us. Um, in chapter three, he talks about how the works of the law um, do not offer a way of escape, but only the cross of Jesus actually sets prisoners free. I, I think of the phrase setting us free from this present evil age. Um, think of movies that you have watched depicting like heroic efforts to rescue a prisoner of war, right? The terrible risk involved the danger and the sacrifice, the suspense and the violence and the final emotional homecoming of the emancipated prisoners. These are uh, all elements of the most dramatic and the, the, the most important story of all, which is the story of the cross of Christ setting you and I free from this present evil age, setting literal captives free. And because the story is true, Christians can now enjoy the freedom of being a part of the new creation. We are no longer prisoners or slaves, the verse that we looked at last week, for freedom Christ has set us free. Thirdly, in verse four, the plan for the cross is according to the will of our God and Father. Anybody ever ask the question, God, what's your will? I wanna know what your will is for my life. What's your will? The will of the Father is for you to know Jesus and to belong in the family of God and for you to have grace and peace. You wanna know what the will of God is? The will of God is Jesus in us and through us, right? It's according to the will of God. The Father has planned our rescue all the way back to Genesis chapter three, the plan. At the right time, he sent his son to accomplish our rescue. And now the father has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts 
to let us know that we are no longer slaves, but we are children of God. Paul will unpack this in chapter four. And the accomplishment of the Father's plan in history is the expression, hear this, the accomplishment of the Father's plan in history is the expression of his superabounding grace or his hyper grace, which is the basis of our peace. Hyper grace is the root and our shalom is the fruit, our total Forgiveness, And that is how Paul begins his letter. And then he is going to get into it right away with them. Typically, letters, and you can read other pastoral epistles, after the greeting, there's like a, a paragraph, uh, even in Philippians, it's a, a long paragraph, like, I thank my God for you every time I remember. You guys know those passages, right? This, this letter... He just goes right to the point of the letter because he is so passionate for their freedom. And so he says in um, verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one, speaking of Jesus, you are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, he's speaking about when he went there as an evangelist in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14 when he, when he started the church. If somebody comes in and preaches anything different, let him be eternally condemned. Can you feel the passion that Paul feels so for people to be free in Christ? As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Rhetorical question, no, I could care less about pleasing men. I'm an apostle of Jesus himself. I proclaim grace and freedom. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. No Thanksgiving section. In the absence, I think, of the Thanksgiving indicates how extremely, the, how extremely serious the problem in the Galatian churches was from Paul's perspective. Now, to be fair, just to try to consider this for a second with you, the Galatian believers um, that the, that the Judaizers came up and said, yes, Jesus for salvation, but you also need to, to embrace circumcision, the Jewish law of circumcision. Like you've got to have both of those things. And so to be fair, I think these new Galatian Gentile believers uh, probably thought that they were simply adding a few Jewish customs to the gospel in order to enhance uh, the value of their faith in Christ. Like, it's just like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay, like Jesus, okay, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But from Paul's perspective, this addition actually negated the essence of the true gospel. 
and he rebukes them for their desertion of, of pure pure grace and he blames he blames the confusion on those who perverted the gospel I and mean, the language is so serious in Paul and then he pronounces a solemn condemnation twice two times to all who tamper with the truth of God's scandalous grace his expression of astonishment is is a rebuke to the churches I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting what you have believed, which is the true message of the gospel. Deserting, I think it's interesting, um, is in the present tense verb, you are deserting. Tells us that the Galatian churches had not yet decisively kind of carried out and, and walked away from the true gospel, but they were in a place of confusion because of false teaching. And they were starting to turn and leave. And Paul's letter certainly, I believe, was designed to awaken them to stop and come back to the true gospel. The content, um, the actual content of this different gospel, of this adding things to Jesus will um, be something that will become more and more evident as we work through the letter itself. But it is clear already that Paul is saying at the beginning of Galatians in chapter one, that this gospel that was proclaimed from false teachers is not grace-centered. It was drawing people away from Jesus's finished work and putting an emphasis on their work to add to the work of Jesus. And how have you seen this kind of teaching perhaps, this addition, this adding expectations, adding things to Jesus so that you, so that you would know that you know that you know that you have salvation, drawing you. Have you, have you, have you seen this in your life? Have you heard this in your life? Have you, been, have you been moved in this way in your life, drawing you to think and focus, hear this, more about your obedience and what you're doing than on Jesus's perfect obedience and what he has done for us? drawing you to the, to, to the pressure of getting it right and doing it right, and then feeling that the toxicity of shame when you don't. Probably these people that proclaim this message, um, I don't know that they would have viewed their version of the gospel as heretical. Paul certainly is speaking it as in heretical way, but I don't know that they would have viewed it that way. Uh, they do not deny the deity of Christ. They, they do not deny the cross of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. They subtracted nothing from Paul's message. This is a big point from the morning. They subtracted nothing from Paul's message. They only added to it, which is the problem. They subtracted nothing, they only added to it, but Paul does not allow their false teaching to stand. And he presents forth a radical antithesis. There is only one true gospel of Christ. And the rest of the letters, we continue to get into it, will unpack this to help us understand so that we as readers would reject anything false of anything adding to Jesus and we would stand on the true gospel. Because for Paul, the true gospel was at stake. And he draws a clear line at the beginning of the letter and he refuses to compromise. His unyielding defense of the truth of the gospel because he wanted to protect the freedom of God's people. Hear this. He wanted to protect pure hyper grace. 
Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Last two verses of the morning, and we'll close here. 11 and 12. I want you to know that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation. I received this message by revelation from Jesus Christ himself. The gospel Paul preaches was by revelation. It wasn't by tradition. If we want a revelation of grace and freedom in Christ in this series, you are going to have to move away from your traditions and you are going to have to move away from your additions. We are not talking about addition. This is not about math. This is about the gospel of grace. This is not about your traditions. This is about Jesus' work to liberate you in freedom. I listen, I love Christmas traditions, but religion, religious traditions will trip you up. I love math. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a math teacher and a high school basketball coach. I love math, but the gospel has nothing to do with math, and we have to leave our traditions and leave our additions. And we are asking, I am asking God to give us the same revelation of his grace and freedom in this series. Here's where we're in. Here's the equation. Here's what we're gonna be bringing up. Worship team, you're welcome to come back up. Jesus plus nothing equals the true gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything for the work of salvation, for the work of peace with God, equals a false gospel. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to study your word, I pray that your word would bring revelation to the true gospel, to true freedom, and that we today and in this series would embrace and stand firm in freedom, that we would know it's biblical and true, and that we would learn to carry the responsibility and the joy of our freedom as well. In Jesus' name, amen.